Hello, this is your last little taste of Alpha Bunga Bunga for the year. It's our 2017 year in review. It's myself, Alex, George and Phil, and the guests from episode 22, Ben Fogel and Ewan Marshall. So, you know, 2016, for reflecting back a little bit further, was notably the worst year ever. Um, you know, lots of baby boomer celebrities died and uh, liberal centrists <laughs> heads spun off a bit like kind of in poltergeist um, in reaction to Trump and Brexit and much else. Um, but I think this year was also good. So we're going to go around and we're going to take a person of the year from everyone. Then we're going to go around again, take a political high point, a political low point, and then we're going to do a final round uh, of your cultural highlight of the year. OK, so uh, Ben, I'll come to you first. Person of the year by far, Jezza, Jeremy Corbyn. Excellent, absolute boy. I'm, I'm I'm waiting for Phil to come in, dissenting for that view. So I'm going to come to Phil. No, I mean I I do dissent from that view, but my um but then I would because the my person of the year is Emmanuel Macron. So <laughs> <laughs> a, a big endorsement. I mean, any any further comment on on why that is? Because he's, um, so I mean, the economist put France as their country of the year as a kind of endorsement of Macron's victory. And I think he's the, so, you know, clearly the kind of um, liberal, you know, liberal technocracy is, mo- you know, clearly aligning behind Macron. And he is the man who, around whom, you know, whether he will rescue the European Union. And he's the man who is basically holding kind of liberalism together on the international stage. And I think he's going to be the one to do the most damage, in fact, I mean, not only to kind of technocratic liberalism, but I think probably ultimately to liberal democracy itself. He's committed to permanent war in um, in North Africa and former kind of French, the former French colonies of North Africa. Uh, so he has that kind of tight link between humanitarian war abroad and um, neo neoliberal kind of technocratic reforms domestically. He's very clearly kind of trying his utmost to uh, exercise the authoritarian centralized powers of the French presidential system. And he's also um, institutionalized and sought to institutionalize the state of emergency that he inherited from the previous socialist government. So everything about him, I think, is pointing towards the um, erosion of liberal democracy. And the very fact that he needed this kind of party, he had to create, kind of jerry-rig this party together out of, um, you know, like media kind of media froth and his own enormous kind of inflated ego, that it goes to show just how how weak um, the member states of Europe, the European Union are. So my, my, he's my... the man to rescue. So my follow-on from that, my, my person of the year follows on nicely from that, which is Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who ran a strong campaign in the French presidential election and actually narrowly missed out on making it to the second round. I'm not mentioning him as a person of the year because um, I particularly like him um, or his party's campaign per se, but because he raised the banner of, of a radical left Republican agenda, um, speaking about liberty, equality and fraternity as ideas inscribed in the state, which citizens should reclaim from it. And I think for me, that's the sort of politics which has the best chance of six to succeed in today's conjuncture. So my person of the year is Jean-Luc Mélenchon. But we can't, we can't, we can't give you more Jean Luc Mélenchon, Alex. So I don't know, like, what you want from us, like. <laughs> not you guys. I'm not. <laughs> All right, I, you and I right. prefer Jezza. <laughs> so I, I hemmed and hawed about this decision because essentially I'm on here as a kind of a football-related guest. So I thought, right, let's try something sports-related. I had to think about the Brazilian manager Chichi, who you know he's he's. 
he's been quite amazing and quite incredible. But most of this transformation that he, he made of the Brazilian national team side was actually last year, at the end of 2016. So I have just given up and chosen Celtic manager Brendan Rodgers <laughs> as the person of the year. He took us to in an unbeaten league championship in the middle of the year, and he is just an all-round smashing bloke. And, after... and how many how many games did Celtic go and beaten until they were recently beaten last weekend? Uh, a childish sixty-nine. Nice. Uh... <laughs> all right. Uh, Rodgers has had an unbelievable year. It's been great. It's been fantastic. Um, I think he's got. I, I don't know how many he's got. A, he's got a statue of himself. In his in his house or a, a painting of himself. He has I don't a know painting of himself. Yeah, he has a painting, painting. of himself. Yeah. As, a, as, every, a dream. as every person with any self respect should. Yeah, as any person of the year should. <laughs> as any person of the year should. Um, all right, and finally, George. So I was, you know, it was it was a, a tough one. I was going to go for for Corbin, but I I wanted to go for somebody who had a bad 2016, but I think really came back really strong in 2017 and kept fighting and. You know, actually, if anything, came back stronger. So for me, person of the year, Hillary Clinton. Um, <laughs> so I have this, I have this thing that she is—it's her, not Trump, who is the defining politician of our age. I think we'll talk about this probably in a in, in a future a, episode. Uh, yeah, one. But yeah, just all, all the best to her and, and onward together um, for 2018. Still with her. Still with her. <laughs> yeah, I actually saw something to, to, uh, on, on Twitter. That said, uh, 2018 is the year that she's going to become president. Um, there's a, a simple seven-stage <laughs> process which involves arresting Trump for tre- treason, getting Hillary into Speaker of the House, and then just I don't know, getting some Republicans to vote her in or some something like that. So yeah, that's my, my confident prediction. Keep flying that flag. Yeah, um, George, do you want to do you want to then carry on with your political high point of the year? Yeah, political high point of the year um, for me. This was a, this was very easy. It was uh, seeing Matthew Goodwin eat his Brexit book live on TV. <laughs> can you give, can you give after, listeners a little bit of a backdrop to understand yeah, what this is? Um, after incorrectly predicting that uh, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party would get 38%, would not, sorry, would not get 38% in the British general election, he said, I'll eat my Brexit book if, if they do. They did. And uh, yeah, good good for him. He, uh, he ate it. But I think it was a symbol of all of the, the fixed certainties of, of uh, sort of pre- pre-brexit politics just just being literally eaten by this 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 guy he's just putting his wrong words in his mouth and eating them it's um, to his credit though because i mean there's been no real reckoning or no you know kind of nobody's really been held to account for the just the total disintegration of all kind of not just kind of specific predictions but all expectations assumptions um taken for granted kind of views perspectives they've just been you know, repeatedly wrecked by so many different um, events over the last two years. And yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I agree with you about um, that, but I'd also just say like, he is the, um, you know, he is the only one who actually at least made a kind of token symbolic gesture of contrition. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, if anything, it's made him a better pundit as well, because uh, I don't know yeah. how, how, but he's, uh, he's actually thought, oh shit, you know, um, actually got this very wrong, need to, you know, Think about things a bit differently. Hear that pundit yeah. swallowing so. your own bullshit makes you a better pundit. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 our motto for this podcast, I guess. Uh, that's um, democracy. Yeah, <laughs> Phil, do you want to go? Political high point. High point. Yeah. So my political high point was um, Jeremy Cliff. 
So I don't know if our listeners or indeed our other um, our other uh, people are <laughs> familiar with Jeremy Cliff. <laughs> other human beings uh, talking on this podcast, yeah. Yeah, the other human beings, the other voices, disembodied voices I can hear in my earphones. They if might just be bots. <laughs> I was going to get to that a bit later. So, um, but Jeremy Cliff is the Charlemagne, or was the Charlemagne correspondent, which is to say the Europe correspondent for um, for the Economist. And he kind of, um, you know, you can imagine the kind of person he is. And he kind of lost his shit a couple of months back, where he decided he was um, he just flipped out. He couldn't take all the radicalism anymore, and he said, "You know what we need? What we really need is a radical party of the center." <laughs> and he brought out this um, he brought out this Twitter manifesto about all the things that this radical party would do, like abolish the green belt and replace it hectare for hectare with new national parks. He said we would combine the Department for Work and Pensions with a new consumer rights ministry, split England into city states and devolve domestic powers to them, abolish the House of Lords in the UK, replace it with an elected Senate of city states and nations. Um, all you know, just a kind of this. Wow, the, the, I, can, I, can, I can almost imagine the international started, you know, floating in quietly, becoming gradually louder and louder as you describe his policies. You know, it's it's inspiring <laughs> stuff. It gets better though. It gets better, and this is the reason he's my person of the year because he um, said, "Okay, that's it. I'm setting up a party. I'm setting up a party of the radical center." He did. He says, I've got a thousand people like interested on social media. We're having a meeting. This is it. It's going ahead. Everything's happening. Um, still bearing in mind while well, he still worked for The Economist at the time. And then an hour later, sorry, 24 hours later, he said, I'm afraid I have to resign from the party. <laughs> I have to resign from the party. It's not going the way we planned. It actually turned out to be more complex. I was just thinking, uh... Jesus Christ, you know? So, oh, you know, I've written a few essays while I was at Oxford about politics. And now, like, you know, I kind of dick around in European cities and occasionally write a column and, you know, get paid loads of money for it. How hard can politics be? You know, <laughs> And so it was gratifying to see his party of the radical center, him resigning his uh, role as El Jefe um, within 24 hours. So excellent. Ben. But so, sorry, just just to correct you after you uh, said that we didn't know who he was, you actually got the name of the column that he used to write for um, the Economist. It was was he not was, Charlemagne? No, he was bad, 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 hot, bad, bad I don't know how to pronounce oh, it. Oh right, okay. So I think he became he was, and then he became Charlemagne. I think. Okay. I think he's well, Charlemagne. Can Charlemagne columnist now? Okay, so that's, I just wanted enough, just wanted to check to... if that would change your <laughs> Berlin your bureau chief. My, it doesn't change my opinion of him. Um, Berlin bureau chief currently, and he will become Charlemagne, um, the Charlemagne columnist, um, shortly. All right, that's enough economist. What a, what, economist, what a man. Thing. <laughs> Is there anything more obnoxious than the economist way of naming the authors and not attributing the authors to any particular body, but these abstract entities? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Ben, do you want to go? What's your political high point of the year? Oh, there's so many. This is such a great year. I really enjoyed the the best Brazilian year. Deputy, yeah, the best. It didn't year stop ever. winning. Brazil- Did not stop winning. <laughs> deputy Vladimir Costa, who got the, the fake tattoo of Michelle Temer, that was really great. <laughs> and then he uh, later recorded a sex tape in the Brazilian Congress. That was a great moment. But uh, I can also enjoy. Can you see the tattoo in the sex tape or not? No, he, it was a fake tattoo. It went off. Uh, that's a shame. And now he's been banned from politics for some time. I also really enjoyed, uh, I have to say, I really enjoyed that in South Africa, um, 
we had this uh, the head of the ANC Youth League, who's now 37 years old, threatened to necklace the ex-finance minister. That was a great moment. But probably, I mean, well, I'm going to sound a little bit soppy. You've already said the Jeremy Corbyn moment, so I can't say that. I really enjoyed the I don't know. It's I really can't think of a particular high point. I can only think of I'll, various I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you a high point, which is which is mine, which is maybe a little bit sincere um, after the previous japery. But I think the Brazilian uh, workers' general strike of April twenty eighth, yeah. which brought the country I was to a halt, say that. was a real high yeah. point because at least at the time it seemed that there was serious heft suddenly to a movement to oppose uh, the reactionary counter reforms that were being implemented by the Temer government, as well as um, as as well as actually challenging Temer's government itself and calling for direct elections. Um, and that was now looking back on it, unfortunately, the, maybe only the crest of the wave. But um, but that was a political high point of the year, which brought the country to a standstill. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that uh, my political high point of the year was at the first major protest after the coup in Zimbabwe started uh, during a, I think it was a BBC uh, news report, but I could be wrong about the the TV reports, uh, they were interviewing uh, protesters for the first time in uh, probably a decade. People have been openly able to protest against Mugabe. These democratic passions are running high. And they interviewed this very excited Zimbabwean gentleman who was uh, being very critical of Mugabe. And then he proceeded to do the magnificent ad lib from Man's Not Hot to show his distaste <laughs> for Mugabe on live TV. That was the best moment of the year. That was everything. That's a hot one. The funniest year comes together with politics. And that's what I stand for in terms of popular democracy. <laughs> you in. And also also Corbyn doing Man's Not Hot as well. Ah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. All right. Yeah, that's true. That's Prime of the year. Tune of the year. Theory and practice. So, yeah. was, was that one of the... Was that, was that one of the questions that we had to answer no but we might we could someone someone could nominate that for their cultural high point of the year when we come on to it fair it is, fair <laughs> it is fair but first your political high point you yeah so again difficult one i really hemmed and hawed over this for ages actually i'm struggling to find anything from my kind of spheres like in brazilian politics like you mentioned the general strike which was a important moment and obviously your man and his and his henna tattoo of tamer was a was a rather special time but yeah, if I'm taking something a little more directed towards football and perhaps what we've been talking about, the suspension of, well, the 90-day suspension and potentially uh, life ban of the current Brazilian uh, president of the, the Football Confederation, Marco Polo Del Nero, was a particularly pleasing um, moment for me personally because he is one of the few in the maybe, I think there's about 25 in total, these kind of officials who were indicted um, by the FBI. He's one of the very few who has not uh, either turned himself in or been arrested. And essentially, he's been spending the last few years refusing to leave Brazil, even though he is still the active president of the Brazilian Football Confederation, which is a job that requires a lot of travelling outside of Brazil so he's always whenever Brazil play there's always an empty seat where the president should be at the draw for the World Cup he was the only president not to be there out of all the 32 nations just claiming that you know oh I don't want to leave the country because you know if if I get a sore throat you know (laughs) I'm not gonna I'm not gonna know what medicine to buy and I'm much more comfortable in Brazil and finally, uh, the ethics committee have came down on him and suspended him as president. It doesn't really change much, but that was a 
finally a nice little moment. Do you want to move on straight on to your low point? Oh, my low point. Uh, yeah, I suppose something a bit serious then, because there's plenty of low points in Brazilian politics this year. The the labour reforms being passed, I think, was a particular low point. And this is this massive package, which takes away these what they call the CLT, the kind of consolidated labour laws that we have here in Brazil. I'm not a massive fan of them. Uh, in theory, I think there's a, certainly a lot to be reformed there. But essentially what has happened is that Brazil, a place where workers did have quite a few of these extra kind of rights and benefits and, 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 and certainly a very strong kind of labour courts as well, has essentially just opt, has opted to adopt this USA model, Yeah, um, which is really quite sad. And we're already seeing the effects of it, a lot of people being laid off. And that was quite sad to see that go through with such such support. Yeah. My low point of the year is when I discovered that Bono was friends with Lula and journeying all the way to Brazil to support, <laughs> Bono, to support Lula during his trial. Absolutely. Uh, which, I mean, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, none of the charges that he's been found guilty of amount to much. They, they seemed quite transparently bullshit to me. But associating with that interdimensional drainer of everything that's good and meaningful in the world, Bono constitutes a <laughs> severe crime for me and makes me really doubt that a Lula presidency, if it happens next year, will be anything but a continuation of the nightmare if Bono has any power there. <laughs> Excellent. All right, let's go to Phil for your political low point of the year. So the low point was the Brexit bots. So this is the idea that already kind of, I mean, you know, disproved already by, I mean, I mean, I don't know why even anybody even bothered to make the effort, but I guess it has to be done by someone. The idea that uh, Twitter um, inundated, you know, kind of with um, pro-Brexit messages in the run up to the referendum that swayed the referendum and caused people to vote, you know, caused people to vote Brexit. So basically it was stolen by... These Twitter accounts run from the Kremlin, presumably like in Cyrillic or something like that, that somehow persuaded, you know, kind of 17 million voters to um, vote in the interests of Vladimir Putin by withdrawing Britain from the European Union or some, some crap. If only, if only, if only, um, anyway, we so, were, if only we were really that influential on Twitter, you know, if only it had that much impact. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's the... Um, and I suppose, I mean, you know, the stupidity, I mean, you know, I guess is no different from anything else. But the, the Russian paranoia thing is I don't think I can't think of anything in my kind of adult life in which conspiracy has reached quite that level of um, proximity to political power um, that mainstream newspapers and journalists kind of report it and talk about it and discuss it as if it were a serious thing without any you know kind of sense of skepticism or query or um, willingness to question the kind of received wisdom. So, and they, I said, you know, so McCarthyism for once perhaps isn't so far off um, in terms of describing the level of paranoia around it. And it's genuinely scary to see something which is also bipartisan. You know, so previous kind of conspiracy theories in politics in recent times, say like the Benghazi Gate a couple of years back with the attack on um, the U.S. embassy in Libya and supposed, you know, the kind of shenanigans around um, suppression of information. You know, that was the Republicans against the Democrats. But the Russia thing is kind of bipartisan. And that's what makes it even more kind of worrying the degradation, I suppose, of public discourse across the spectrum. Yeah. Good shout. 
George. So Phil's Phil's kind of not stolen my thunder, but I have to change what I'm going to say a little bit, otherwise it'd be a bit too similar. No, you can just you can just, you can just do a plus one. You can ditto. Yeah, I mean it's I mean it's it's similar. It is is quite be my plus one, George. It was the it was it's the fake news uh, moral panic which which was seemed to happen in I guess in the early few months of the year, and it was just this. Um, this really lazy explanation of of why people were were doing all these things that they did in 2016 because they're basically stupid and they can't understand the difference between what's true and what's false and an, another kind of it's, it's sort of similar in that it's, it's bordering on a conspiracy um, kind of theory but I think it's 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 quite transparently just a a, a fear of the masses re-entering politics which gets displaced onto their their ignorance and their inability to 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 actually be political actors so i think that was quite there was a slew of books that came out at sort of tail end of last year beginning of this this year which were all about about fake news and i thought and they were just all shit basically there's so nothing more there's nothing more post-truth and claiming everything's fake news um yeah. um so i think well my my political low point um i think i have to very much directly dissent um with uh from from time magazine and say that me too hashtag me too is was my political low point of the year um precisely because it wasn't political um and my initial reaction to it was actually positive i was like oh this is actually quite good to kind of display the extent to which women are subject to regular harassment um in their lives which might be a bit opaque to, to men who don't have to have the same experience um but it quickly devolved into something entirely different it was a moral panic which elided all sorts of distinctions between criminality and something that you might just you might personally judge immoral um, it alighted the distinction um, between pro- public and private um, and ultimately did a disservice to women's liberation in my opinion um, by painting the only good woman as being a victim that doesn't sound great that doesn't sound great it wasn't great it wasn't great um, so we're gonna, <laughs> we're, gonna do, we're gonna do a final round up of uh, your cultural highlight of the year um, Ewan what's your cultural highlight of the year well I think if Ben were still here, he would subscribe to this also. But my cultural highlight of the year was episode 8 of the third season of Twin Peaks, which I had been waiting for a long time to see come back. And I thought the whole series was... It wasn't perfect. There were a lot of things in there which were not quite what I had expected. But the fact that this is a showtime show and not the old kind of 91 television show which was kind of half soap opera, half mystery, half kind of psychological thriller. The fact that it was this kind of showtime platform meant that David Lynch could go kind of full... Full Lynch. Full Lynch, yeah. Full fat heroin in the veins Lynch. (laughs) And... The episode eight in particular, if um, if if folk have no seen no it, spoilers, yeah, it's without spoilers. Uh, there is it was good. It was very <laughs> full stop. Um, yeah, just massive, long, surreal scenes. Very little dialogue. A bit of Nine Inch Nails playing, and just generally beautiful. And one of these things that only comes along on television once every I don't know, once every ten years. I think really quite spectacular. Excellent. Um, I can endorse that. I'm not. I'm not a Twin Peaks fan, but I know Ben is though. So yeah, the, this... I actually haven't. I've I've seen the first two episodes of season three, so I'm I'm working my way up to uh, over Christmas to watch it. 
torch episode eight. So looking forward to it. So my my highlight, I I, I kind of, you know, I, I had a, I had to think about all the music that I've listened to, all the books, theatre, blah blah blah. But actually, the cultural highlight was quite recent. It was just this last weekend. I tried eggnog for the first time, and it's amazing. It's uh, <laughs> I think it's going to become my my drink of choice all year all round. All year round, Christmas. Can have it chilled in summer, warm in winter. Yeah. I now understand that Simpsons joke where Homer opens a fridge, where Marge opens a fridge, and it's just all eggnog. So, wait, just um, just yeah, for listeners, great. can you clarify whether this is alcoholic or non-alcoholic eggnog? Oh, and, and alcoholic. Just so, excellent. Thank you. Okay, just wanted that you've, confirmation. You've, you've, You've got to put in more than the recipe says of alcohol, yeah. necessarily. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Phil? So mine was, I think I was thinking about this, and it could be many things, but I thought Get Out was probably the highlight. So um, cultural cultural highlight would have been the movie Get Out. So it's about this um, kind of patrician New England East Coast um, white girl who brings her black boyfriend home to meet her parents who are obviously like, you know, kind of very politically correct um, Hillary voters. And um, it all kind of, you know, you can imagine it all kind of goes uh, crazy from there um, in that the Hillary voters obviously turn out to be the creepiest, um, most kind of right on politically correct racists that you can imagine. Hmm. And that's, you know, kind of uh, only the half of it. But anyway, but I watched this cinema, I watched this in a cinema in Canterbury. And I think I was the only white guy. Maybe there were one or two others in the whole cinema. Everybody else was these <laughs> my, you know, kind of black students um, from uh, London who are living in Canterbury, going to the university there. And it was incredible, <laughs> like because at the end, I've never, and this has never happened to me before. At the end, everyone spontaneously burst into cheers and applause. <laughs> it was just brilliant. And I've never actually, I've never been in a cinema where that happened. And it's a great movie. It's, you know, very clever and genuinely kind of um, genuinely tense and gripping and very intelligent and a brilliant critique of Hillary voters. And I think also it's legitimate to say by extension, remain voters as well, even though it's set in America. Superb. All right. And, and just to close up, my, my cultural um, highlight of the year, I think, is social media jumping the shark. I think this 2017 was the first year where we've seen much more widespread disgruntlement with what social media has become uh, more complaints about um, algorithms, about targeted advertising, about the cesspit that is political debate on social media. And looking forward to 2018, I think we're going to see um, the role of social media discussed much more widely and kind of looking forward to that. So just to close up, thank you, everyone. Thank you to Ewan for talking us through the FIFA stuff and being a uh, delightful guest. Thank you to Ben, uh, regular guest Ben Fogel. Um, and Alpha Bunga Bunga will be back in 2018 uh, discussing more of the issues of the political crisis of our times. Just to give you a flavor of what we've got coming up, we've got South Africa, we've got therapeutic politics, we're talking about the Italian elections coming up uh, in March, we've got political ecology, we've got uh, cinema today right before the Oscars, and much more. Uh, see you then, tell your friends, and please subscribe. Bye-bye.